0: Listener Production. Taria Pitt was your everyday woman, when at the age of 24 her life drastically changed. While competing in a 100 ultra marathon in the Australian Outback in 2011, she encountered an out of control grass fire. Trapped by the flames, she suffered burns to 65% of her body, lost 7 of her fingers, died 2 times on the operating table and spent over 6 months in hospital undergoing over 200 operations. Surviving against overwhelming odds, she has rebuilt her life and defied every expectation placed on her. She is living proof that with the right mindset, we truly can achieve anything. In this heartfelt conversation, Taria and I talk about pushing yourself outside your comfort zone, reframing negative thought patterns, and why practicing gratitude can change your life.
1: One of the reasons why I like practicing gratitude is it's very easy for us to always focus on what we don't have right in our lives, what's not going well for us, what people are doing to us that we don't like. But if you start to focus on things that are going right in your life, people, that you're grateful for, the things that you have to look forward to, that sets up your day in a really positive outlook. I'm Sarah Grimberg, and
0: this is A Life of Greatness. Working as a podcast and radio producer, I have been fortunate enough to cross paths with many intriguing people who have had a profound impact on me. In this series, I share stories and experiences from the people who have brought inspiration to my life, and hopefully yours too. Taria Pitt is best-selling author of The Good Selfie, unmasked and everything to live for. She is a mum, wife and was named Australian of the year. Toria, you were raised in Ulladulla, which is a small town in
1: New South Wales. Tell me about your childhood. What was it like? I had a really, uh, I would say, idyllic childhood. I was born in Tahiti and we moved to Australia and we ended up moving down the south coast of New South Wales. We lived on a A house that overlooked a sick surf spot, and you know, there was a cliff face where we would climb down with our surfboards and go for surfs before and after school. And, um, I I think my parents are quite unique. They both lived their lives how they wanted to live. They weren't too concerned about what other people thought or things like that. And I think that was a really good example for me not to get. Too caught up in that kind of stuff, which is pretty normal as a kid to do, mm. yeah. Um so it was idyllic. Like my dad, my dad was a bit of a a hard man. Um, you know, we didn't have a TV, we weren't allowed to do a lot of things. And I remember why didn't he allow you to have a TV? He he was of the belief that it rots your brain. Yeah. Yeah. So he was just he was just like that. So um hard in that way, but at the same time. It, it made me the person who I am today, um, but I have a television and my son watches TV. <laughs> and tell me, you have a brother as well. Were you guys have three close? Three brothers. have three, three brothers. brothers. Yeah. Wow. I have three brothers. Yeah.
0: And so are you, are you guys, like, were you all close growing yeah, up? Yeah, I
1: was pretty close to my older brother, Genji, and my two younger brothers, there was like a 10-year age gap, but from the same parents. Yeah. All from the same parents.
0: And you used to just go out and surf and then roll up to school and that was kind of the way that you grew up, doing heaps of sports and things like that. Yeah,
1: and not even like, not even so much organised sports. Like we were just, I i was a big reader. I loved reading. Mm. So I'd, you know, surf in the day and then at night time I'd read. So what sort I, of stuff would you read? I loved John Marsden. I liked Paul. Oh, I remember John yeah, Marsden. Isn't he awesome? Oh, my
0: God, I have not... Sp- thought about John yeah, Marsden for know. years. Like,
1: do you remember those books? Yes. And, like, Paul Jennings yes, and – Yes, Paul – around um, the twist. Oh. Yeah, and Robin Klein. And, yeah. Um, I just – I just loved reading because it – I guess because I didn't have a TV that was my entertainment, but it it was a world which I could escape to. Yes. Yeah.
0: And do you think, like, I know a lot of people now and a lot of children, they get bored really easy, you know, like they're used to screens and you're not always having stimulation. But for you, you would never, you would have never had that. So you made your own fun.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think if you you can't always rely on something outside of you to entertain you or to provide you with entertainment or whatever, Um, you kind of have to make your own fun. And I also think... Being bored, it's not necessarily a bad feeling either. No, definitely yeah. not. But how like, how rare is it to be bored these days? You've yeah. got these devices, like mine's 20 centimetres away from me, you know? Well, I
0: was going to ask, do you think growing up like that you know, now being obviously an adult, that you, with your phone and things like that, do you ensure that you're not on it so much or has social media taken over you like it has with many
1: others where it's, you know. I probably do look at it a fair bit because it's part of my business and what I do. Um, I would like to think I'm more conscious about how I use my phone because I don't want to set a bad example for my son, Um, but I wouldn't say I'm perfect at it either. Yeah. When did you meet your partner,
0: Michael? That were, He was one of your brother's best friends. Yeah, he
1: was one of my brother's best friends, so I knew him. Uh, my brother worked at the local IGA or the local, like, IGA is like a Woolworths, but, yes. but, but before it was a duopoly. Um, so he worked there and Michael Hoskin, my partner, worked there too. So I would go in as a little, you know, 10-year-old school girl and say, Genji, like, mom's ready to come pick you up when you finish work. And so I always had a crush on him, but we didn't, we didn't get together until till I was like twenty one. Really? Yeah, yeah. I always had the hot room though. Obviously, you
0: did school, and then you left. And then what what did you go on to study? Like, what yeah, did your yeah. dreams be when you were kind of growing up? Well, when I was at
1: school, I, I wanted to be an engineer, and how I picked that career path, it, it's kind of boring. Like I wrote down a list of what I was good at and I wrote down a list of what I wanted from a job and from that I got engineering. <laughs> well, wait, what, was the, what did your list entail? Well, I was good at, um, you know, like maths and science and chemistry and that sort of stuff and mm. what I wanted from a job. I wanted to get paid well. I wanted to work in remote locations. I wanted the opportunity to travel. Yeah. And that was mining engineering. Yeah. And so you went on, obviously, to do that. What was Michael doing? He was a police officer. Oh, wow. Yeah, he looked really cute in his uniform. <laughs> and so <laughs> yep. how long did you work in that field for? I was only an engineer for like a year and, and then I had my accident. So then yep. in 2011, yeah. your world changed forever.
0: You competed in the ultra yep. marathon race and in the Kimberley and you were caught in a grass fire whilst racing and receive burns to 65% of your body. So obviously this is a horrific thing. You died three times, but you're here, stronger and happier than ever. How has all of that changed you?
1: I guess all of the events that we go through in our lives change us, you know. It's like, do I take this job or not? Do I break up with this person or not? So... Every day of our lives there's potential for change. I guess this, my accident, you know, my life is kind of divided into before the fire and Mm. after the fire. So obviously it's changed me, but at the same time I feel like it hasn't. I feel like it's just amplified and strengthened the qualities that I already had. You know, it's made me more determined, more driven, more ambitious, more caring, more empathetic. So And I also think if you're the same person that you were like eight years ago, then Mm. you should probably look at that. Because I think if you're not growing and if you're not changing, if you're not challenging yourself, then by definition you're stagnating.
0: Oh, I totally agree. You have obviously a huge inner strength and drive. How, firstly, where do you think that came from? Because, you know, I know a lot of people who haven't been through anything like you've been through who do not have the strength and ability that you have, mm. but you have that. Where Where do you think that comes from? Where, where do you
1: find that within yourself? I think part of it's to do with how I grew up, having... Un- unconventional parents mm. but i also think i think we've all got that inside us yes and i like to talk a lot about mindset and the power of um, you know having a positive mindset but i also think there's this belief that we're supposed to be like happy and energetic and motivated all the time and then if we're not we feel like there's something wrong with us and i you know i think that's bullshit because Just as we have days where we're really happy and we're really excited and we're really, like, pumped and we're motivated, we also have days where we feel like shit, that are crap, that are ordinary, that don't go our way, and I think that's just part of the spectrum of human emotion. And were you into this sort of work before... The accident? Nah, I wasn't. Well, I was an engineer. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, engineer is totally a different side yeah, of the brain. Yeah, but your dad kind of liked this stuff, didn't he? My dad listened, my dad would make us listen to Tony Robbins Unleashed the really? then, yeah, when we were like eight. We'd be driving along in our Turago 1987 RV and Tony Robbins would just be like blaring out of the audio.
0: And so, would you, do you think
1: you took in, even without realizing a lot of the yeah, messages that yeah, you were saying, yeah. like subconsciously, yeah. even? Yeah, for sure. Like, have you read, you know, that book, Rich dad, poor dad. Yes. Yeah. Like I read that when I was 10. Wow. Yeah. So it's just, I was obviously influenced by mm. that kind of stuff. Maybe I just didn't realise it. Yeah. And how do you think that's helped you now? Look, I don't think Robert Kiyosaki, author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, <laughs> played much of a role in my <laughs> recovery. But I think it's about just, um, you know, not blaming others for how your life's turned out and Taking responsibility and also taking ownership of it because at the end of the day, it's my life, you know, so I can point fingers and I can blame others and I can shift responsibility away from me. Mm. But it's actually not going to help me to have a better quality of life. It's not going to make me happier. It's not going to make me more confident. Um it's not going to improve my self-esteem. Those are things that only I can do for myself. Were there key things
0: along the journey, especially the recovery, that really affected you in a positive way, like things that you either read or someone spoke about or that, you know, you went to watch? What were those things? Yeah.
1: After I was injured, I remember that the doctors had um, a bit of a chat to me and they said, oh, well, you know, that physical life that you used to have, that's gone, Mm. but... On the upside you, you might be able to drive again, you might get a job, you might get married and I was just like, That's bullshit. Like, don't don't try and place limits on my life. You don't even know who I am. And so the fact That's first, amazing
0: you even thought that. Most people would sit there going, Okay, yeah.
1: But you know but but this is the thing, most people think they would sit there and, and say Say that, but they don't know because I haven't been yes. through the situation. That's so a good point. I, yeah. So I said, okay. And then I started reading books by other people who'd gone through adversity, mm. you know, like Bethany Hamilton, the surfy chick who's yes. lost an arm to a shark and she's just paddled in out at Jaws in Hawaii. So. I read books by really cool people who'd overcome adversity, and I thought, all of these people are just normal human beings, and mm. they've been able to rebuild their lives, and they've been able to create a really extraordinary lives for, the, for themselves, so there's no reason why I can't do that too.
0: One thing about you, there's many things that I love about you, but one thing is that you push yourself more than, yeah. I reckon, 95% of the people that have read about and... You did the Ironman in Australia and then you went on to do the Kona in Hawaii. Yeah. Unbelievably amazing. How did you find the strength to do that mentally and physically? You know, that was quite soon after your accident.
1: Yeah, I guess like you you don't just do an Ironman one day with no preparation. Mm. So my Ironman journey started, you know, like four years before I even did my first one. And like how I did it, when I describe it, it actually sounds really boring because I got an Ironman coach who gave me training programs and every day I just look, okay, hey, today's Wednesday, what do I have to do? Got to do a one and a half kilometre swim. And I'd do it and then I'd forget about it until the next day. How long was it after your accident date? So probably like, so probably three three years after I Started like training, yes. To do a triathlon, and the first thing I did was actually a half marathon. So that was that was before the triathlon. So probably three years after, and it took me like maybe eighteen months, maybe two years to do the first Ironman. I did, and then not many people get invited to Ironman World Championships in Hawaii. So when I got the invite, if you say no, you might never get a chance to do it again. Yeah. yeah. So
0: obviously your ability to sweat is yes. very limited because you had burns to 65% of your body. How, how were you able to get through that race?
1: Yeah, I guess like the, the Ironman in Australia was a lot easier for me because the temperature was cooler and that was a really good point you made. One of the things about burnt skin is it doesn't regulate its temperature. So for example, when you get hot, you will sweat and then that will cool you down and if you're cold, you'll get goosebumps, which will trap air between the hairs of your body and that will keep you warm. So burnt skin doesn't have that functionality. Yeah. So if I get hot, I get really hot. And if I get cold, I am I get really cold. So that was one of my main concerns for Hawaii. But I think whenever you're scared of something or whenever you don't know if you'll be able to do it or whenever you're worried, I like to just take a step back, get out pen and paper and just list out all of the things that I'm worried about. So for Ironman, I was worried about getting too cold in the swim and not being able to control my temperature. I was worried about only having three fingers, like how the hell was I going to be able to ride a bike? I was worried about the heat during the run, like how was I going to be able to control that? All of those little things, you know, that, that you're worried about, you write them down on the list and you think, oh, shit, yeah, I don't know if I can actually do this. But then you go on to the next step which is you look at each item when you think about, well, how will you overcome that? That's great. Yeah, but you have to you have to remove the emotion from the process mm. and try and look at it really objectively. And if it's too hard for you to do, you can get a mate in to help you out as well. So my coach and I sat down and we looked at all the barriers, you know, not having 10 fingers, only having three fingers. How does one ride a bike? I saw a bike specialist, got a bike custom made. I... Change gears with my index finger.
0: Wow! And
1: I would break with my thumb. That was how I did the whole one hundred and eighty kilometers. Just way to do everything. Yeah, like if but you have to be committed, mm. focused on what you're trying to achieve, and not get disheartened by the inevitable setbacks that you'll face. Yeah, yeah. And then, so how did you go in the race? Um, Ironman Kona wasn't my best day. Um, I struggled with the heat. Um, How far is it? Well, it's a four-kilometre swim, 180-kilometre mm. uh, bike ride, and then a marathon. So it's a big day. But uh, the reason why Ironman Kona is reputed to be so difficult is mm. because of the challenging terrain yeah. and because of the heat. So I really struggled with the heat. Um, so I was a bit delusional by the end of the day. But I finished, I think I finished in like 14 and a half hours. That's amazing. Yeah. What did you do as far as not being able to sweat? Yeah, so with that, I wore a heart rate monitor. Mm. I kept an eye on my heart rate and if it peaked, that would mean that I, I was under stress. Yeah. So I would have to back off the pace a little bit. So that's one of the reasons why my time at Kona was a lot slower than in Australia. Oh, I see. Yeah, But, but- it, to me, it was like, well, I could go out and smash myself, potentially not finish the race. Um, or I could just be careful, a bit methodical. Even if I felt like I could give it more, I would have to back off the pace if it if I saw I was under stress. And how did you feel when you finished? Like, what was the mental feeling? Obviously, you're
0: exhausted, but like the fact that you had achieved that goal. Yeah,
1: I, I think for me, doing the Ironman, it it was a culmination of all the hard work that I'd put into my recovery. Um everything that I'd been through, you know i I achieved something that most people would never do, mm. and that gave me a really strong feeling of of self worth and self belief, and it gave me a lot of confidence too because I thought, well, I've done that, so you know nothing's off the table for me now, that's so true, yeah, and that's a, that's the reason why I love girls I talk about it um a lot in my books, you know, when you achieve something that you think is beyond you and then you actually get it done, you feel amazing, you feel good about yourself, you feel like you have this reinforced sense of self-belief and and knowing that, you know, if a challenge comes away, Comes your way, you have the resources and the ability to overcome it. What were your next goals after that Ironman? Well, I got I got pregnant pretty soon after that because it was in October and I was pregnant the next um, February. I th- yeah. And how how has being a mum changed you? I think it's made me more more caring, more empathetic. It's I, I can be someone who's very single-minded and very dedicated to my goals, mm. um, which can be a bit of a selfish mindset at times, but it's, it's enabled me to take a step back from that because when you're a mum, the most important thing in your world is your baby. You know, you do anything for them. So um, it's been the best thing I've ever done. And
0: how old is your little it's one like now? like a
1: year and a half. Is a little terror.
0: <laughs> and, you know, being so involved in um, self-development, what are the things that you want to instill in
1: your son? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that, that's part of the reason why I wrote my, my new book. It's because when I was thinking about having a son, I thought about, well, what what would I want for him? And I thought, oh, yeah, I just want him to be happy all the time. Mm, wow. But then I thought, well, is that a realistic expectation to expect someone to be happy every single day for the rest of their lives because what's the reality like he'll face challenges he'll, he might get bullied he might not get picked for some sports teams he might not get the marks that he wants he might not get the job that he wants so i think more than wanting him to be happy i want him to i want him to be resilient i want him to know that he can face challenges and overcome them and i want him to know that there's there's nothing wrong with having a bad day either and there are all the lessons that i'd love for my son to learn from me. Going on to resilience, how do you think you'll best instil that in him? As kids get older, they, they get their own personality and they want to do what they want to do. So I think with resilience, how we learn resilience is by failing at things, by not being good enough at things and learning that it's actually not bad for us. There's actually nothing wrong with us. It's actually perfectly normal and we'll be okay. Um, it's my belief that a lot of kids these days don't get the opportunity to fail mm. that
0: much. I agree. And that is obviously very significant because you've been resilient on a zillion occasions, but one I know that you did was when you went to Tony Robbins UPW yeah. and you had to do the firewall. Yeah, I know. Um, which, you know, is obviously not ideal. Like, firstly... Did he try and convince you to do that? And secondly, well, were you did you always
1: plan to do that? No, I didn't even know that there was a firewalk. Oh, really? Yeah, And he told us, and I was like, "Well, I didn't sign up for this. I'm out of here." And then I went to the doors, and one of his team found me, and they said, "Oh, like Tony knows who you are. Tony wants you to do the firewalk." And I was just like, "Mate, we can go Tony to stick it because I'm not, <laughs> I'm not doing it." Like, and then I think I thought about it a bit more you know how when you're scared of something Mm. you also know there's a a part of you that also knows probably be good for you yes 100 yeah
0: obviously gratitude is a huge part of your life and something that you practice daily how do you do that what
1: what what kind of tips do you have for people? Yeah, so my psychologist suggested it to me first and I was like, come on, man, like what do I have to be grateful for? This was in the early days of my recovery. And one of the reasons why I like practising gratitude is it's it's very easy for us to always focus on what we don't have right in our lives, mm. what's not going well for us, what people are doing to us that we don't like. Um It's so easy for us to do that, but if you start to focus on things that are going right in your life, people, that you're grateful for, the things that you have to look forward to, that sets up your day in a really positive way. Outlook. So for me, I, how I practice gratitude, I'll try to think of an opportunity I have. So today it was coming in yeah. to speak with you, um, something tangible. So it was my cup of coffee this morning. And then I also like to think of a person. So it was my colleague, Grace, who's down in Melbourne with me today to do this interview. And we've got a couple of other meetings and we've got this um, book event tomorrow night. And I think, if you just start your day thinking of things that you're grateful for, as opposed to what's not going right for you in your life, it helps your day start off better. I totally agree,
0: and I definitely um, do you try practice and do, gratitude. I do practice gratitude, and I notice that when I don't, you feel th- shitty. You feel crap. Yeah, you, you feel actually shitty. Do and I notice sometimes if I'm just not being my kind of vibrant self, I yeah. have to. I go back to yeah. okay, the really simple things like yeah. gratitude and um the achievements and goal setting and things yeah. that we that you spoke about someone actually
1: said to me when you win the morning you win the day yeah, it's totally, important totally it's so important um, my morning routine i get up I have a cup of coffee i watch my son play i do my gratitude practices and if i can if i'm near the ocean i'll go for a swim so they're the key things that make up my morning routine. Um, if I'm not near the ocean like today, I, I don't do that. But as long as I've I've practiced gratitude and I've thought about the things I have to look forward to that day or that week, um, I find my my day and my week runs a lot better. You know, everyone like you said had bad days. Do you? What do you do when you're having a bad day? Yeah. So if I have a bad day, or if I'm having a bad day, um, like I'll give you an example. I was on, I was doing the promotional tour for my book. Yes. Good selfie. And it was raining. I was in Sydney. It was raining and I was rushing through the street and I was wearing these, you know, those Converse high top sneakers. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought I was really cool. Um, I was rushing through the street and my sneaker caught the edge of the grate. Oh, yeah. I did like a forward somersault through the air <gasps> and I landed flat on my back. I was mortified. I was in pain. And so I just started to cry like any normal adult mm. would and I looked over at my colleague Grace who was there with me at the time and her face was just contorted with hysterical laughter <laughs> that's the best way to look at so something like so I was like better. you know what I can choose to just have a bad day except and just wallow in it or I could just laugh right now with Grace I think when you're having a bad day now that you've got options, like if you want to, you can turn it around. You don't have to have a bad day, but also there's nothing inherently wrong with having a bad day either. So, so if you feel like it would be completely insincere to how you're actually feeling, you just own it. You just say, "Yeah, today's shit." Tomorrow will probably be better. I know. One of my favourite quotes is
0: like, you know, being on this earth, we can all start again. You know, we have the ability to just start again, as you said. Like every day is a new day. Yeah, exactly. It is so true. When you get really immersed in something negative, and you can't see an out, you it is only you that can make the choice to either view it differently or just start again. Yeah, you know.
1: And there's there's power in just. And in also just owning how you feel and just saying, you know what, today at work was really bad, this happened, that happened, I'm shitty, that's okay, I'm going to sit on the couch and watch Netflix. Like there's nothing wrong with that either. Completely. Yeah, and we have to lose this expectation that if we're not happy and we're not energetic and we're not like upbeat and super motivated, there's something wrong with this. Because like I said earlier, it's just, it's just another emotion, feeling bad, feeling angry, feeling bitter. They're just emotions and they're just part of the whole, the whole palette that we get to paint with. Do you sit with your emotions? Sometimes. Like sometimes I, sometimes I can. Sometimes I've got the time to. Um, other times I can't. Like uh, a couple of years ago I'd, I'd been booked to do a speech on the anniversary of the fire. And I also had an interview with a journalist that day. Mm-hmm. And the journalist was just I felt like she was interrogating me about the fire. And I did the interview as best as I could, and I hung up the phone and I burst into tears, and I just felt like I don't, I don't want to go do this speech. I don't want to leave the room. I just want to sit here in my pajamas and and cry. But I couldn't do that because I had made a commitment to do this speech. So I thought, you know what? Who cares if it's an anniversary? Like go out there, make this speech the best one you've ever done. Have a great night, own it, enjoy it. And that's what I did. So like I said, if you want to, you can own, you can own having a bad day. You can say, I feel like shit. And if you don't want to, or if you. Don't have the time or you need to go to a meeting or a presentation or whatever, you can turn it around. Those resources are all inside us. It's true. And you know what? Half
0: the, a lot of the time when I think I've had a bad day and I think, oh, I don't want to go out for dinner with some people, like even though I I love them, it's just, I'd rather be by myself. But the moment that I actually go stuff it, I'll go, I feel so much happier. You do. And I'm sure you did at your talk where it's like, you're around such beautiful people, yeah. you're distracted, and then yeah. it's like you're back to your vibrant self again. Yeah,
1: and you made, like, you actually just made the decision just to be happy. Like, mm-hmm. we can all do that if we want to. That's exactly yeah. it.
0: Now you've got your amazing book, The Good Selfie. Yeah. Tell us a bit about what that covers.
1: Yeah, so it was a book I wrote for kids and teens, and how it came about is... I noticed that I, I was getting all of these questions from teenagers and kids through email and social media and and some of the questions were quite simple but also quite profound. Like I got mm. a question from a young man who said, you know, what, what actually matters in life? And I got a question from a young girl saying, I don't look like everyone I see on Instagram and everyone, every time I think about that, I feel like crap. So I had all these questions that I got and so I pretty much – went through all of my emails and all the responses I'd ever written back to these kids and I put it into a book and that's how Good Selfie came about and when I thought about my son and what lessons I would want to instill in him like we talked about earlier, resilience and confidence and goal setting, knowing that you can achieve things if you really go after them, um, I guess that's kind of like my legacy to him as well. What were the most common questions that teens and kids ask you? Yeah, they were grouped into five, kind of five different um, categories. I had gratitude and self-talk, you know, that little voice in our head which tells us we're not good enough. I had goal setting um, and I guess like I'll give you one of the questions as an example. It was from that young woman who said I don't look like everyone I see on Instagram Mm -hmm. and every time I think about that, I feel like crap. And how I answered it was that, you know, because people always ask me all the time, how am I so confident? And I don't think they mean it in a bad way. Yeah. But I think what they're asking is how am I so confident when I look so different, yeah, and I think it's really important for us to remember that our confidence, it doesn't just come from how we look. And sure, that's... Definitely shouldn't. Yeah, but it's you also can't say that's not part of it. Yes. You know, of course it's part of it. If I rocked up to a speech, not putting on any makeup, not brushing my hair, not brushing my teeth, wearing my pyjamas, would I feel super enthused to go out in front of thousands of people and just own it? Probably not. You know, and you did
0: modelling for a short space of time, so yeah. you would have known what it was like to kind of use your looks
1: to, yeah. you know. Well, be I, was, out there. I was pretty awful at modelling. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, how do you answer that? Well, so you know, I'm saying yeah. I, I, I get the reader or the kids to draw something which I call a confidence pie and I get them to put in the pie all of the things that they get their confidence from. So it might be, sure, from how they look. They might feel confident when they're getting their hair breaded. They might feel confident when they do really well in a science exam. They might, might feel confident when they're out there in the footy field. And by doing that example, I'm, I'm trying to illustrate to them that, yeah, your your appearance, for sure, that makes part of what your confidence, that's part of what your confidence comes from. But there's also all of these other areas too, which help you to be more confident.
0: What are the techniques that you use to build self-confidence for yourself?
1: Yeah, I think one of my favourite techniques that I use all the time is reframing. And what reframing is, I'll I'll give you an example. Mm. So, I have about two or three operations every year, and you can't really look forward to an operation. No, definitely not. And so, you know, with my operations, i i I do my exercise reframing, and that's I can look at it through the negative frame, or I can look at it through the positive frame. So, the negative frame for my operations: it's scary, it hurts, I have to take time off, I feel sick, I feel vulnerable, um, and It's really hard to feel good about yourself when you're always having to step back in your life. And and for me, it feels like I'm back where I was all those years ago. I feel really incapable and really, to be honest, I feel really pathetic. So if I look at my operations through the negative frame, I think, oh, yeah, I don't really want to have Mm. an operation, hey. But I can look at it through the positive frame. What's the positives of having an operation? Wow, how cool is it that we live in Australia? We have access to some of the best medical care in the whole entire world. I get to catch up with all the old medical team who first worked on me, you know, all my favourite doctors and nurses. I get to sit on the couch and watch Netflix straight, just binge watch it. I get to eat ice cream. I get to boss around Michael and my (laughs) mum. And I also get to improve. Mm. You know, each operation I have, it helps me improve and it helps me to make progress. So if I look at my operations through the positive frame, I think, yeah, it actually doesn't sound that bad. And then I know it's up to me. I can look at it however I want to. And I always choose a positive frame because that, for me, that makes me feel better about the decisions that I make. That's a fabulous way. In my head, I'm already thinking about a situation and
0: exactly using that, going, wow, that is, you know, because there is a gift in everything to an extent. And if you can find the positives, which there are always positives, then, um, you know, life and your day is so much better. How have you found bringing your story to teenagers and kids? How have they received
1: it? Well, I like to think that uh, I kind of speak a bit like a kid sometimes, which I, I think helps me to relate to them better. And to be honest, I actually really like kids. I find them refreshing. I like how honest they are. Mm. You know, adults have all of this filter and, and bullshit and nuance and you're like, what what is it that you're trying to say? You know, I find it really hard to interpret what adults mean sometimes, but kids just say it how it is. And I think that's really refreshing. Yeah, there's a, there's a huge amount of innocence with a child and they just they just want to know the answers. Exactly, yeah. They're not trying to tiptoe around it or beat around the bush. They just say it how it is. What do you think, obviously, then, you know, spending quite a bit of
0: time in that field are the things that kids today are the most worried about?
1: Yeah, so I'm not, I'm not sure if it is all unique to kids these days. I think it's pretty common for all people who are young, you know, and you probably remember while you were growing up, it's um, feeling like you don't fit in at school, mm-hmm. feeling like you're not good enough at staff, feeling like you're not smart enough or you're not confident enough, not really knowing how to set goals um, and feeling a bit lacklustre about life in general. Um, the same can be said for a lot of adults as well. But I do think that these days... It is a very different world that kids are growing up with. They're always connected. There's, They've got access to social media, which is just a whole new way that we've invented for us to feel bad about ourselves. <laughs> like if you want to feel bad, you just go on Instagram, we start scrolling and you probably feel a bit crap afterwards, mm. yeah? So I, I think those challenges are particularly unique to kids these days.
0: And how do you, uh, being a voice
1: obviously, that kids look up to, how would you tell them to navigate that? Yeah, well, there's a pretty simple little thing I I talk about in my book, Good Selfie. It's that when you're scrolling through Instagram and after you're done, you think about how you feel and if you feel crap, maybe change up your Instagram feed so maybe don't follow some people and follow some people's accounts who um, maybe are more authentic or are more inspiring or are doing really cool things in the world obviously you have all these beautiful messages that you have given to so many people, be it kids,
0: adults, teenagers. How do you perceive the accident now? Like, is there now an understanding of, like, why this may have happened to me, or do you still kind of think oh, mm. I just don't know why this all occurred?
1: Yeah, that, that's a good question. I guess after, like, straight after my accident, of course, I thought, oh, like, why? Why has this yeah. happened to me? Um, but then after a few years, I just accepted it, and I, you know, there's not nothing I can do about it. I could, I could wish I could change things so much it's not going to change anything. And I could put all my energy into being angry and frustrated, that's not going to change anything either. Or I could put all that energy into working on my body, rebuilding myself, rebuilding my career, making a really amazing life for myself. And that will change things. So I guess that's the, that's the conscious decision I made and I continue to make. And one of the questions in the book was um I hear you're grateful for the fire like how is that possible? And it's not like it's not like I'm grateful for the experience because it's something you would never want to wish on anyone it was it was tremendously difficult but at the same time it has taught me a lot. It's taught me a lot about myself it's I've realised how resilient I am, how strong I am, how determined I am. It's it's strengthened my relationships with my beautiful partner, Michael, and my mum and my friends and my family. It's made me realise what what's actually important in mm. our lives. And I think when I look at it like that, I, I am grateful for that experience. Would you look back at your
0: life and wish that had never happened? Because I know a lot of people who may have been through cancer or, yeah. you know, we'll go, that actually made me the person I am today
1: and I, I am now, mm. you know, happy I had that experience. Do you feel that? I guess, like, I'm an engineer, so I'm a pretty, like, I'm a pretty logical and pragmatic mm. person. So if I if I was to think I wish it would never happen, there would be another voice to say, well, you can't do anything about it, so why bother wishing? Um, but I, I honestly... I'm honestly really happy with my life right now and I feel like I've got so much going for me and I think if I was to rewind the clock 10 years or eight years or whatever, I wouldn't want to do it because I have learned a lot through the last decade and now I've got my beautiful son and if I had never gone through the fire, maybe I never would have met him either. That's a really good
0: point. Yeah. When you reflect on your stories and experiences, what do you want people to take out of it all
1: you know what when I when I receive emails from adults and kids and they say you know I heard your story and that inspired me to sign up to a half marathon or I was reading your story and that inspired me to leave a partner who'd been abusing me for years or I heard about your story and I quit smoking so I think when I hear stories like that that reaffirms to me that the work I'm doing in the world is of value what are you most grateful for Most grateful for in my life, my family, my partner, and my son. Yeah. What is a life of greatness to you? A life of greatness to me, I think for all of us, we all want to feel like we're making progress towards the things that are important to us. We all want to feel like we're spending time with people that make us feel good about being ourselves and I think we also want to feel happy and confident not all of the time because that's not realistic but most of the time and I think if we can do all three of those things again not all at the same time but most of the time um, that paints a pretty good picture of a life of greatness that sounds like a pretty good
0: life of greatness to me to Pitt. you're an absolute inspiration to everyone out there thank you so much thank you so much for having me If you've enjoyed this episode, then I'd love you to join my community on Instagram at Sarah Grimberg, where we post videos and behind-the-scenes footage of each recording. You can also join my private Facebook group, Live Life Greatly. Where we discuss the content in this episode and many more, as well as give advice and tips on how to live a life of love and meaning. To purchase my ebook, Finding Greatness, head to saragrimberg.com. And if you love what you heard, then we'd love you to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app and leave a five star review. It will help us share this wisdom with others. A Life of Greatness's executive producer is me, Sarah Grimberg. Audio producers, Matt Nicolich and Darcy Thompson. Special thanks to Grant Tothill for bringing this dream to life. For more episodes, search A Life of Greatness podcast, download the new Listener app now and listen for free. Listener.